Uh, so this is the third talk I've written for this date. And I've been trying hard to arrive at something useful and meaningful while everything changes all around us and within us. I'm sure I'm not alone in turning on the radio with a twisty, anxious trepidation. Like when you're climbing to the top of a roller coaster, if you really, really hate roller coasters. So we're in Alice in Wonderland territory now. That bit where Alice is speaking to the Queen and Alice says, there's no use trying, one can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, says the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. And we're all getting that practice now. I'll be honest, I'm finding it very hard. Like other humans, I love certainty. We tend to cling to routine, from which, perhaps occasionally, and with a fair bit of preparation, we can launch ourselves into the great unknown. And now this has all flipped. We're living in a vast unknown, looking for something to rely on, looking for stepping stones that might help us navigate a quicksand. So we're supposed to be focusing these talks during Lent on an aspect of Jesus. I put my carefully prepared Jesus the Carpenter talk to one side quite a while ago. A talk on the joys of woodwork didn't seem particularly appropriate. I'll get back to that in the quieter times that will come. So instead, I started thinking about Jesus as a man who had a habit of withdrawing, who sought solitude, and many times according to the writers of the Gospels. There's that most well-known moment that Owen read to us when Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days, the same length as Lent. This time comes just after he's been baptised and before he begins his ministry. So Jesus is alone in the desert. He's self-isolated, if you like, and he's fasting before he faces temptation at the hands of Satan, however you might imagine that character. And there are many other times when Jesus chooses to be on his own. Mark writes about him getting up very early in the morning to go off alone to pray. And Matthew says that Jesus went off by boat to a solitary place when he heard that John the Baptist had been killed. The disciple John describes Jesus walking from Galilee to Jerusalem intentionally alone. And that's about five or six days walking on his own. So Jesus didn't mind his own company. And some people are more like Jesus than others. But for many, the idea of isolation is genuinely scary. We humans thrive on company, on laughs, conversations, gatherings. They fuel us, keep us going. And when we find ourselves alone for a prolonged period of time, it's deeply unsettling. Not what we're used to at all. And that isolation is now a reality for most of us. So how do we begin to deal with it? Jane Francis is a geologist and the director of the British Antarctic Survey. And she was asked recently about how she coped with isolation. She talked about what it was like to be with maybe only one other person for weeks at a time. She mentioned being stuck in a tent in a blizzard for 10 days. And she described zoning out, looking after herself. There's no point in panicking or getting frustrated, she said. I sleep, 
I listen to music. I take massive, thick books with me, the ones you can never get into in normal life. But isolated, with a storm outside, you can get into the world of the book. You realise how normally you're bombarded with sounds, with smells and colours. But living a simpler life, you come to know that usually you have so many things around you that you don't need. And after three days, my whole world shrinks. You can survive without much stuff around you. So I've been trying to think about the possibility of isolation with her words in my, he my head and trying to think about it positively. And it's really hard, and I'm not there yet. My own difficulty has helped me understand my dad, though, because we're quite similar. So he's 84 and very gregarious and understandably hates the idea of living without any company. So I've started talking to him several times a day and texting him frequently. And then this week, a neighbour of his popped round to Dad's and loaned him an iPad and showed him how to FaceTime. And Dad called me, and I don't think he has ever looked so happy to see me. It was a miracle to him, and also to me. Jesus seems to use his times of solitude to get stronger, to pray, spend time talking to his Heavenly Father, to make plans, to prepare, to prepare for what he knows is in front of him. There's a point to his withdrawal. He's intentional. One time he spends the night alone on a mountain. Then he comes down and selects his 12 closest disciples and names them as having special work to do. I wonder how we will come out of the other end of these periods of isolation. What will our plans be? How will we be changed and the society we're part of? How can we ensure it's for the better? I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Because my response to what's going on varies from hour to hour. But I have that persistent, low-level anxiety which can swoop into a full-on mix of jittery panic with an infusion of despair, depending on who said what to me recently. I'm trying hard to wean myself off this and to get to some sort of equilibrium where calm usefulness is a default setting. I'll be honest, it's hard. So what's helping? Well, I love that poem, Swifts, by R.S. Thomas that Sophie read. I've shut the mind on fools. The phone's frenzy is over. There is only the Swifts, restlessness in the sky. R.S. has shut down the wider world of people and phones to concentrate on one thing. I am learning to bring only my wonder to the contemplation of the geometry of their dark wings. So that's one thing I hope for, that I'll learn how to be less distracted, how to focus down and concentrate and make time for wonder. And it's harder to find something to wonder at in the city. There's no big sky, no sea, no mountain to contemplate. We're going to have to work harder, people, to get some more of the natural world into our lives. Bird feeders, window boxes, gardens if you have them, you're very lucky. House plants. There has to be more intent to our isolation than buying dry goods and toilet paper. The thick books Jane Francis talks about, all the episodes of West Wing, conversational Italian, keeping in touch with friends, 
and especially our older brethren who are likely to face longer periods of time in solitude. And we're all going to find out more about ourselves. Our response to disruption in some cases and to far, far harder challenges in others. We will have to be very open to rapid change. How we approach solitude and isolation is part of that. The new structures we put into our days. Ways to safeguard caring for friends and family. Caring for ourselves. Exercising our brains and bodies, our hearts and finding new things to wonder at and take care of. Ways to discover how immense our smaller shrunken world really is. And Jesus is with us in this. He fasted and prayed for 40 days in the desert to discover what use his life was to be put to. This is our desert experience, our real life Lent. None of this giving up chocolate lark. This is something far more serious with genuinely challenging disruptions to who we are and what we have become. Jesus' temptations were around power, status and control. Our temptations in this time might be around anger, despair, frustration, isolation, panic. And we might give in to them regularly. I know I have. The task is to turn to whatever helps us out now, to notice it and be grateful for it. And we must take the greatest care of each other to be the most useful we can be in our by turn huge and small, relentlessly unpredictable and more deserted world. <laughs>